Welcome to Series 3 of The Joy of Writing. I'm your host, Mark Carew, author of three novels, and someone who's interested in how other writers write, why they do it, and the fun or joy they get from their writing. My guest in this episode is Tyler Keevil, a novelist, filmmaker, and creative writing lecturer. His fourth novel, a thriller called Your Still Beating Heart, is out soon, published by Myriad. We talked about how he came to write the book, its themes, and his choice of a second-person narrative. Tyler, your uh, latest novel, which is novel uh, number four, will be published um, 10th of September, which is this Thursday. It's published by Myriad, and it's called Your Still Beating Heart. I've been lucky enough to read it before publication. It is a great book, a very exciting thriller, so congratulations for that. Thank you very just, much. Just to fill the uh, listener in on what it's about, I'll have a look inside the front cover. It starts with a London bus, um, a young couple get on board, and then a random act of violence happens. Uh, the man, Todd, dies. He's stabbed in the heart, and his, his wife is widowed and in response part of her response is to go to Prague where they got engaged and then the story unfolds from there so a really compelling and exciting and interesting beginning and I wondered what was what was your motivation or inspiration for the story yeah I think there's a, a kind of a range of things that come together and that often happens as, as a for us writers uh, I think I remember a student talking about it as being magpie-like, where you're, you're taking various little bits and you're building this uh, creative nest, and that always stayed with me. So I knew I, I wanted to start with something really grabbing, really punchy. Yeah. Um, and I remember there was an incident on a bus um, where nothing as extreme as what happens in the in the novel occurred. And uh, I... I was in London, I kind of felt like a bit of that, um, we, we live in small town Wales, it's been a while since I lived in Vancouver, uh, that kind of city feel, and even so, Vancouver is very familiar to me, that's my city, uh, even if you know cities, you don't always know aspects or areas of other cities, uh, so I felt kind of, um, felt that sense of disorientation being down in London, and uh, an incident occurred that kind of triggered this moment, I thought, okay, well, you, you take something and you say, well, what if this had happened? What if that had happened? Mm -hmm. And so I played that what if game again, which many of us writers do. And it led to that opening scene um, in which Todd, the husband figure, dies. And that was kind of a springboard for the rest of the novel. And I think also something kind of maybe thematically of importance. And I look back on several of my other works they, they focus a lot on uh, first-person male narrators and um, also exploring aspects and nuances of, of masculinity. And here you have a kind of incident and an instance of somebody trying to assert their masculinity and it, it going horribly wrong, tragic. And in a way, that was killed off almost in the opening reel, if we're talking in film terms, you know, in, or in the first act. And that leaves the other character and then heroin, the protagonist, uh, in a totally different situation, and also left me 
as author in a completely different situation than I'd been in previously. And that was really exciting um, and really fascinating to, to begin to explore. So had you written a female character before as the main protagonist? Only in my short fiction. I think that's one benefit to kind of working in both forms, that short stories allow you to experiment and try things out and to push kind of push yourself in a new direction um, without uh, committing that huge, massive chunk of time that a novel will take. So I'd had, you know, female protagonists, main characters, uh, narrators in my shorts form. Um, but I think, to be honest, I didn't necessarily have the confidence to pursue that over long form fiction uh, until You're Still Beating Heart. So that's a nice, you know, and a liberating, refreshing change. And, and, I mean, the story uh, evolves, and uh, the, the reader won't be able to see it coming. Um, and that's part of the, um, the, the, the interest and the excitement. But what, going back to character, what I really enjoyed was the narration, because you write in uh, second person, and it's almost as if the reader is the character and the author is telling you what you've done or what you're thinking, or what you're worried about, and also you have some nice foreshadowing and, and your worries about the future and all the rest of it, and it is very intimate, which is, um, you know, it's more intimate than if you'd said, and then I got on the bus, or, and then I did this. Um, how did you get to that sort of style? Mm, yeah, I mean, that's an excellent question, and I think it was another risk and another kind of key conceptual point of the whole novel and initially I did have the idea that just that opening you know I, I've I'd read um, several works and particularly short stories of Joyce Carol Oates and a couple of those yeah. use second person and I thought I could use that kind of immediacy and, and kind of the visceral aspect of some of that writing for that opening and then once the reader was hooked I might transition into a more traditional mm. uh, style of narration or viewpoint uh, and I did experiment with that early on in developing the novel but to be honest almost you, you put it very well there that I felt so much was lost when I then tried to write in another point of view um, that kind of intimacy um, and also something about second person allowed me to break up the prose a little bit. It didn't yeah. necessarily have to have completely traditional grammar, and that was exciting and new for me as well. And those things began to basically move out of the book whenever I changed the point of view, and I thought, well, that's kind of a, it was a big moment where I had to decide, can, can you sustain that voice and that second-person narration yeah. over the course of the novel, and, you know, as a creative writing teacher, that's one of the things we always say don't do. You know, don't write in second person is almost kind of a unknown or established one of those silly writing rules, which of course are made to be broken anyway. But I was I was very aware that it was a, a kind of risk to undertake. Um, but in the end, it was a matter of writing the whole book that way or not writing it at all. You know, and and it would, it it did once I did get into that voice and accepted that that was what it was going to be. It did kind of, not, it sounds um, almost uh, grandiose to say it burned through me, but it, it came quite quickly. You know, the, the novel and the story began to really flow, 
Um, and even if I knew there might be potential problems with, um, you know, in approaching publishers or something, taking a stylistic risk like that, this that, that was the book I was having so much fun writing. It was electrifying and thrilling to write. So I just let it let it happen and, and see where it took me, essentially. Well, um, you're great. I mean, it, that's interesting what you say, that it was a risk to begin with and publishers might find second person a risk. But I'm glad you kept with it because you... You know, I mean, you, you absolutely nailed the uh, narration. Yeah, and as you kind of pointed out, that there is a bit of a, a twist or a, a couple of twists yes. later on. Realize the narration isn't quite what you thought all along, anyway. We'll leave readers to figure out figure out what it shifts towards. Yeah, I, th I think people will appreciate these these sort of um, little uh, little plays. Um, it's interesting about the narration, you're saying it allows you to get away from more formal language because if you look at what the um, protagonist is saying, it's, it's really the thoughts. Mm. So it's not, not necessarily complete grammatically com uh, correct sentences. It's very much more like having a conversation with yourself and you're sort of telling yourself what you've just seen and what it means. Superb stuff. I really, really enjoyed the narration. And then the setting. Um, I mean, it, whether this came from research or um, experience, it completely hooked me. I mean, I thought, okay, I am in Prague. I am, you know, in in other parts of the Czech Republic. Um, what was the case there? Was this from memory or active research? Yeah. So there was a, a period um, in my early twenties, shortly after graduating from university, where I got in my head that I wanted to, to go to Prague, um, from Canada where I was living at the time, and uh, be a writer without quite knowing what that meant, you know. So I, I, uh, I saved up enough, I saved up a little bit um, to kind of rent a bed sit or a very tiny room, um, not in a in a, a nice area or anything, and uh, I flew out there with a suitcase full of books. Um, so I, I was hopelessly naive and. Uh, but in a way, that was part of the point of it, and I, I wanted the experience as well as we yeah. all do. Yeah. Were you. Um, so I would spend a lot of time. I didn't have much money. I didn't know anybody there, so I didn't really have any connections. So I would I would write in my my tiny room, but I would also end up wandering the streets uh, in the cold. So I was talking before about a sense of kind of uh, not being at home in in any cities, but that that was particularly the case in kind of a autumn and winter in Prague, um, and that feeling, I think, really feeds into particularly the first third of the novel, uh, when the hero um, arrives in, in Prague and she's at loose ends and she's wandering mm. the streets and um, trying to overcome or, or come to terms with her grief um, before the next portion of the novel kind of takes over and she yeah. moves more towards um, the journey aspect of it. Uh, so I don't. I definitely don't think I could have written those early sections without the experience. And that's another interesting thing. Kind of as a writer, you don't. That that was many, you know, many years ago. Now I'm kind of a middle age, um, so probably half my lifetime ago. But it was a definitive experience, and I never forgot. And particularly, what stays with you, I think, is the atmosphere and the feeling. Yeah. So you might have to go back um, and do follow-up research about, you know details of a particular street um, mm -hmm. but the images and the um, the kind of sense of the city itself has never left me and never will and that you know many years later that informs this portion of the book for sure 
Yeah, definitely. It was very, very interesting to see the the protagonist sort of uh, milling about um, in Prague, and you're wondering, well, what's going to happen? Where? What's mm. next for this person? Um, and I mean, the the way you write and, and the, the the theme it uh, lends to it is very filmic. And I know you make films. Mm. So how how does sort of, for example, writing a screenplay? or devising, you know, how you shoot your scenes, how does that sort of map over into writing a novel? Yeah, that's another, that's an excellent question, and I think it, it connects to something um, we were talking about before, about the, the kind of fragmented grammar. But an incident that I I recall that stands out in my mind, um, in that one of my short stories had been optioned to be adapted into a film by a director, which was really exciting. Brilliant, wow. Uh, a fellow Canadian, you know, and uh, he had contacted me, said, would you like to develop the the screenplay with me? And uh, the treatment of screenplay. So I sent him an example of what I thought a treatment should be. And I had done filmmaking and screenwriting, but, you know, not to the level, um, not to a professional level, to, to kind mm-hmm. of put it bluntly. And uh, he kind of sent back, you know, uh, a kind email saying, yeah, this is a good effort, but <laughs> this is more along the lines of where treatments and screenplays are at now, and he sent me some kind of striking examples. And one of the things that stood out was basically that my treatment was much too um, prose-like. You know, it was yeah. still kind of stuck in a kind of writerly mode. And the that's where I think some of the fragment sentences and the kind of just the short, sharp images of your still beating heart came from was in kind of being told to adjust my style um, yeah. by uh, that director and to kind of, in working on the treatment adaptation for this other short story, that kind of then carried forward. Um, and it was liberating and freeing, and screenplays are kind of beautifully streamlined, you know, just those kind of snippets of, of, of setting, flashes of imagery, and then really short cutting dialogue. Um, and I think that obviously wouldn't translate to every author's work or every mm-hmm. novel that I've written because we can do many things that screenwriters can't and that films can't um, and I think there is a danger of becoming overly you know cinesaturated where you're just trying to write a film in book form right right but it, it definitely suited what I intended for your still beating heart you know and if it really felt like okay this is gonna work um, and helped kind of carry carry the story as well yeah yeah, it's it's much more um, follows the way the mind works, I suppose. I mean, the mind doesn't work in complete sentences. It, it works in images and ideas and feelings and emotions. Yeah, no, that's excellent. I hadn't actually thought of that so much until, but I think you're absolutely right. Intuitively, that's what kind of also carries, because there's external visual cinematic aspects, but then there's also that same style carries on when the heroine is thinking to herself or like you yes. said, considering angles and it's it's a it's very much a, a kind of game of cat and mouse in this in the second half when she's having to out guess and out think what the the pursuers are doing like you said having kind of conversations about well could they do this should i do that you know what's next for me yeah i mean that, that that's excellent that was very exciting because you conjure up this um this always present aspect of dread because you're really rooting for the protagonist here um, because of what she's doing. And we'll leave that to the, the listener and the reader to find out. But you really want her to, you know, get away. Yeah. Um, 
<clears throat> so that, that that sort of fragment, it always reminded you, it's like somebody sort of poking you and saying, oh, you're not out of this yet. Um, which oh. was, um, yeah, really, really good. I mean, you, you were really invested in the character and because of the way the narration worked, you felt that you were to some extent, you know, very much the character. Um, so that, that was good. One of the overwhelming themes I got, if you had to put a theme to it, was um, this idea of the, going back to the incident on the bus, that death is easy. Mm. Uh, death can happen to us all very, um, you know, in random moments, or it can come, you know, when it, when it comes. And life can be very hard. And one of your reviewers on the back mentions the word depravity. Mm. Um, so you you have this sort of battle between um, life and death and uh, depravity treating people for little much more than you know that's just a person and versus sort of the love and the urge to protect and save people mm. was, was that were those the themes you were shooting for or, or was that something else going on yeah no, I mean I think definitely there and I think um there's kind of multiple themes working together, and you've covered them, you know, really eloquently there. That idea of of random death, and and mm-hmm. the I think the idea of uh, you know the central conundrum of our existence of how much we like to believe, you know, there's a rhyme or reason, um, and how much it is just kind of uh, a chaotic. I was definitely looking at that, exploring that, and, and images of that. That those are kind of thoughts that crop up in the protagonist's mind where she's saying is am i meant to be here has has what happened back on that bus in london led me here um and am i able to and um almost fated to or inevitably to save this other person you know that's kind of becomes a big part of it her right? the idea of self-sacrifice or putting things putting yourself at risk for another it's not just about her but um that it's about like you said the idea of protecting and then pitting that against uh, the evil, you know, and that's the word for it, evil, what what the the her pursuers are up to. And I don't think you can think of, you know, that's it's kind of a, a horrible fate that they have in store for this person and for an innocent. And I think those questions of morality um, and of, you know, good and evil, and also the decisions we make and the actions we take that define us. Um, and of course, maybe lurking behind that with um, the kind of twist in point of view, we this understanding that or consideration of we all like to think we would make the decision she does, and that when pressed, that we would do the right thing and and have the strength to 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 do what she does. Um, but of course, you know, life is more complicated than that, and. Uh, we grapple with our own weakness and our own cowardice as well and that's a part of human nature too and that can allow uh, evil to happen I think if you know all of us have the temptation sometimes to to look the other way you know we don't want to be involved we wouldn't we don't want to take a stand um, because you know that's putting ourselves at risk then there's no easy at all easy answer to those questions but I think those themes are definitely kind of prevalent and were at the forefront of my mind um, while writing it. You took your character and, and you know that old advice of you want to know what your character is made of then put them in a difficult situation. Mm. Well you you really asked a, a very um, important question to your character which was um, you know if for evil to prosper good people do nothing. Mm. Um, and 
it was very much like Todd on the bus who who died and you know he he was protecting his wife uh, and now that same sort of question comes round to your protagonist um, what are you going to do really yeah. and it's and it's it's a I mean it's a super tough question but mm. it's how you respond is 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 the measure of you yeah I mean, there's a lot to fight for. It was very high stakes, very high intensity, exciting, exciting stuff. Um, I really, really enjoyed it for the, you know, the actual story and, and the way you wrote it. As as a as a writer, I enjoy looking at how this was done, and uh, this was hugely impressive. So, good luck for Thursday when it comes out. Thanks very much, Mark. Yeah, really. And appreciate um, yeah, look forward to speaking again uh, after publication. That'd be great. Yeah, I look forward to it too. Next episode, we will hear Tyler's reaction to publication of Your Still Beating Heart and how he is getting on with future books. You can leave feedback on any of the episodes at podchaser.com forward slash the joy of writing or wherever you listen to your podcasts.